Masechet Babakama Dafkof Yod Bet. We're in the middle of the subject of whether a thief who steals something, do his children have to pay it back? We already saw several opinions about this. We're about to quote three different Baraitot about it. The third Baraita is actually going to be a summary of the first two Baraitot. So they all work together. Tenor Banan. Hagozel Machilet Banan Peturin Milashalem. Heniach Lifnehem Gedolim Chayavin Ashalem Ketanim Peturim Milashalem. Vim Amru Gedolim En Anuyotim Cheshbonot Shechisheba Binemecha Peturin. Someone who steals some food and he gives it to his children to eat. The children do not have to pay it back because the item doesn't exist anymore. However, if he um, the it uh, does exist and he died, the robber died and he left this uh, stuff, whatever he um, stole as an inheritance. If they are adult children, they have to pay. If they are minor, minor children, they don't have to pay. However, if they were adults and they said, well, we don't know about the calculations of our father, uh, that what he made with you, what he, maybe he paid you back, uh, maybe he settled it with you, so we, we don't know, we cannot uh, verify that he owes you the money, then they do not have to pay. We ask about this, wait, just because they're adults and they say, we don't know, they don't have to pay, I mean, the, you know, the, the, um, uh, victim of the robbery says, I know for sure, and there that's a vadai, and they're just saying, Well, yeah, we agree that he stole from you, but you know, we don't know, maybe he paid you, maybe he paid you back. Is that sufficient for them to just be off the hook? Rava actually interprets the Baraita the opposite of what it seems to mean. He seems to just put a uh, rhetorical question mark at, at the end, right? Do we not know the calculations that our father made with you? We do know uh, the calculations, and he does not owe you anything, right? He settled everything, all the matters with you. That's when, if they know that for sure, then they do not have to pay. All right, that's one Baraita. Tanya Idach, another Baraita. Uh, the beginning is the same. Uh, someone who steals and uh, feeds what, I, what he stole to his children while he's alive. Uh, the children do not have to pay. However, if the father died and then the heirs ate the uh, item that he stole, whether they are adults or, or children, they have to pay it back. We ask, Do the children really have to pay it back? This means they're paying back from the from their own pocket or from the inheritance because uh, the item is gone because they ate the item. Now, why should children have to pay? Even if the children, you consider them as damagers, if a child goes into someone's property, causes damage, eats something, they don't have to pay because they're a minor. A minor who causes damage doesn't have to pay. So why would they have to pay in this case? Here also, we have to change around the wording. That doesn't mean that they inherited and ate it, but rather the opposite. If they inherited and have not yet eaten it, if it's still intact in existence, then whether they're adults, adults, adults or, or children, they have to give it back. The item is here itself, right? This belongs to somebody else. Uh, he, he never gave up on it. So, um, uh, uh, he, so he has to get it back. Um, uh, maybe even if he did give, give up on it. Okay. Um, well, yesterday we talked about Yeush, Lifnei Yeush, 
or after Yeush did the owner despair or not, it's not easy to reconcile these two Padaitot with all the opinions that we uh, mentioned yesterday about whether these are all before Yeush or after Yeush. But anyway, the Gemara does not bring that up, and there seems to be a lot of different uh, opinions, and these, these Badaitot don't necessarily have to agree with the Badaitot and uh, opinions of the Amoraim that we saw in the previous daf. Adds another related law about children being responsible for things that happen that that was a result of inheriting something from their father. If the father borrowed a cow in his lifetime and then he died, and the cow, let's say the cow was uh, borrowed for one year. And the father dies six months into into the year, so his children can use the cow until the end of the of that period for another six months. If it dies, meta because of honest, they didn't kill it. It dies on its own, and hayavin seha, they do not have to pay. Normally, a borrower um, would have to pay, but that only applies to the father himself, but for, does not apply to the children who inherit it. So they do not have to pay. However, if they do kill it, meaning that it's not just that it died on its own, um, but they didn't know that uh, this, uh, they thought it was the father's. They didn't know that it was a borrowed cow. And so they slaughtered it and ate it. In that case, they did benefit from it, right? They ate the meat, they had a good a good barbecue, um, uh, but they only have to pay back the value of inexpensive meat. Because if they knew, if they, it could be that if they knew it was, was expensive, then they wouldn't have killed it because it wouldn't have been worth it. But since they did benefit and eat and eaten meat, so then certainly they should pay at least the, uh, the value of the cheap meat that they did benefit from. Um, the last uh, clause, we're going to ask if it refers to the Resha or the Sefa, but here it says, if the father left them land, then they do have to pay, right? And so uh, pay in full. Now, some say that this last line of Rava, Rava said all, 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 all three of these lines, um, but uh, some say that the last one that he has to pay from the land, if if they if the heirs inherited land, that applies to the first case where the uh, the father um, had had this uh, uh, cow that he borrowed, and then the sons are are using it, which they're allowed to use, and it dies on its own. Um, that's where if there is um, uh, land, then they have to pay. But others say no, it, it applies to the sefa, um, which is when the father. Uh, never told the sons that it is um, that it's, uh, the cow doesn't belong to them, and so they unknowingly slaughtered it and killed it. See, in that case, the father actually did something wrong by not informing the children that it doesn't belong to them. So their liability already occurs in the time of the father for being negligent for not informing the children. Um, so in that case, it, it makes sense that. The uh, there would be a lien on the father's property since the father already did something wrong. There would be a lien on his property. So now, um, uh, the, what's the difference between these two? Someone who says that one has to pay in the first scenario um, from the father's land would agree all the more so in the second scenario because in the first scenario the father didn't do anything wrong. Well, I mean he just borrowed a cow and he died. Um, and yet, if you say in that case that the heirs nevertheless 
pay from the father's property, from the father's land, then all the more so when the father was negligent and didn't tell the kids that this doesn't, uh, that this doesn't belong to him, uh, that there would, a lien would be created um, during the father's um, lifetime, and then therefore the kids would have to pay from the land. Now, if, uh, if you say it that way, this will be against Rapapa. We'll see what Rapapa says in a minute. Someone who applies it only to the second case would say, no, only in the second case where the father didn't tell them and was negligent, that's where the sons have to pay from the um, a lien that was on the father's land because the father was negligent and created a lien in the first place. However, in uh, the first case where um, it died, um, while the kids were using it as borrowers, and they were allowed to use it as borrowers, in that case, would uh, they would he would not have to pay because no lien was created during the father's lifetime, and this would be consistent with Rapapa's opinion. We're about to quote Rapapa's opinion, but it's worth explaining it now before we see uh, the more complicated case that Rapapa says it about. Um, Rapapa thinks that when someone borrows something, um, uh, oh, he has to pay it back, obviously, um, but they, he does not. He's not. He, he's not owed. It doesn't create a lien until if and until if and when it dies. Um, so if uh, let's say the father's alive, so he borrows a cow. Okay, he has to he has to give back the cow, um, but there's no lien. And then if it should die on the father's watch. Um, then the father as a borrower would have to pay and that would create a lien but the lien is only created right that obligation to pay is only created once it dies therefore while the father was alive there was no lien on the land because it was the cow was still alive um, he just has to give it back when it dies with the when the sons are around um, the the their the sons themselves don't have to pay because they're not liable as borrowers since they not the they're not the original borrowers and since there was never a lien on the land in the father's lifetime they inherited the land free and clear it doesn't create a lien on their property because they don't even have to pay it at all um, and so the this would be that's the opinion of Rapapa Rapapa thinks that. Uh, there is no lien for on, on, on land at the time of borrowing, but only at the time of the death of the animal when the father, if the father was alive. And therefore, the papa does not think that one has to pay in the resha. And that's why it says here, if you apply it to the resha, well, that would be against the papa. Whereas if you apply it only to the sefa and the resha, you, there is no lien. Then that is consistent with Rav Papa. Let's see what he said. Abdemar Rav Papa. Haita para genuva lo utvacha b'Shabbat hayav. Shekavad hayav begeneva kodem sheyavoli de isur Shabbat. Someone um, stole a a cow um, um, and 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 uh, before Shabbat and he slaughtered it on Shabbat. He is liable, right? Because he was already liable uh, due to the stealing it before. Um, it came to the prohibition of Shabbat. In other words, normally um, we have, we have a rule, you can't be liable to death penalty and to uh, monetary punishment at the for one act. However, um, for a fine, um, that we're, we're is following the opinion that for a fine, one can be liable to both. So in this case, um, uh, since he uh, he stole it, and so now he's already liable for the to pay. Uh, double back a uh, double for it and then when he slaughters it that's going to add you know two or three more times of the uh, the value of what he stole and even though he did that on shabbat and he is liable to capital punishment uh, nevertheless 
um, he still has to pay because it's a fine. Okay, the more relevant case is the second one. If he borrowed a cow and then he slaughtered it on Shabbat, he does not pay. Now, this case is not the same as the first one because there's no fines. A borrower does not pay double or four or five. He just pays the uh, principal. So the idea here is that when he kills it on Shabbat, he does not have to pay because um, the prohibition of Shabbat and the prohibition of stealing come at the same time. Now, this is a, this is the point, that they come at the same time. We do not say that the liability to pay for an ox starts at the time of borrowing. You could say that, right? Because the second I borrow your ox, I owe you uh, the value of the ox. And either I give back the ox or I give back the value. And, um, and so since I'm liable to that from beforehand, from the moment of of borrowing which happened on friday or thursday or or a month ago um so then when uh, when uh, he slaughters it on shabbat that is not at the same time so we don't say that but rather we say no i there's no lien i don't owe you anything at the time of the borrowing except that i have to return it but i don't owe you any money and therefore at the time of slaughter that's when that uh, monetary liability kicks in but that's at the same time that there's a liability to capital for capital punishment and so here we see here that according to rava um the uh, liability to pay um, only happens at the time of death. Therefore, in that case above, when the, while the father was alive, the animal was still alive, so there was no liability to pay, no lien on the land, only after the father died, and then the sons had it and were using it, and it died. Um, the sons are not liable for honest, and uh, therefore they don't have to pay, and there's no lien from that they inherited from the father, and therefore they don't have to pay according to Rav Papa. And now we have the third Baraita that's going to combine the opinions of the two above, and we're going to see that the first Baraita uh, that we quoted is actually the opinion of Sumchus, and the second Baraita is the Tanakhama here. Right, you have to uh, return uh, the, the stolen item that you stole. These are extra words. Why do you have to say that he stole? So we can derive from here that someone who steals um, uh, uh, something and feeds it to his children and then it's no longer around, uh, they, he does not have to pay, right? He only has to pay what he robbed, but if it's not, if it's gone, then he doesn't have to pay anymore. Um, uh, assuming that the uh, the owners uh, had Yeush, right? Uh, this, that would... That was part of the sub the discussion yesterday. However, if he died, the father died and left it for them, then whether they are adults or children, they have to pay, right? Because the item is still there. So as long as the item is intact, they have to pay it back. However, Mishum says, no, that only implies if they're adults. If they're minors, you don't have to because minors, you never take to court. Minors, no matter what they do, they do not have to pay, so it doesn't apply to them. Okay, now this is, uh, uh, opinion of Sumchus is going to be relevant in the following fascinating story. You have the son of Rabbi 
be Irmiyah's father-in-law. In other words, his wife's brother was a minor. So we have uh, Rabbi Irmiyah had a brother-in-law who was a minor, and uh, his Irmiyah's father-in-law died, leaving an inheritance to this, uh, this uh, minor son-in-law. Now, Rabbi Irmiyah wanted to go and get the, get the property of the father-in-law that died because um, he, he's going to claim that it belongs to him, that the father-in-law gave it to him during his lifetime. So Rabbi Irmiyah came to collect it and the minor son-in-law shut the door in his face, either literally or uh, figuratively, a point as he said, no, you cannot come in and take um, this. It doesn't belong to you, right? This is mine. It's my inheritance. So Rabbi Miyat went. They went to Rabbi Avin to make a claim and said, um, uh, "This is uh, this is mine." Rabbi Avin Amar Shelohu Tobeat. Rabbi Avin said to Rabbi Miyat, "No, your minor brother-in-law is claiming what's his. Right? The father died. Uh, we, as as far as we know, uh, this the minor son should be the one who inherits. So uh, you have no claim." Rabbi Miyat says. I have witnesses that can testify that the father gave it to me and I took possession of it during the father's lifetime. And so it is mine and I have proof. So that sounds like he's right. Can we accept witnesses not in front of the other litigant? That's a rule. Whenever you have a court case, you have to have both litigants present. And then you can adjudicate. You can't call witnesses when only one side is present. And this kid is a minor. And even if he is in court, he doesn't have, he's not, uh, doesn't have dot. He doesn't have the mental capacity to be, rep uh, to represent himself. And therefore, um, you cannot, you cannot bring your witnesses. He can't come to court until um, he grows up. So you have to wait a few years till he grows up and then you can bring your witnesses. In the meantime, we assume that it's his and you can't have it. So now we ask, Velo, is that true that um, that uh, you can never uh, bring witnesses against a minor? In the Vraita, just above, it says that whether they are adults or children, if they inherit some stolen property, we do take it from them. So that means that someone is coming and claiming, hey, I'm a victim, your father stole from me, right? And that's my item. And we take it from him and we don't say that uh, you can't take something from a minor because they can't represent themselves in court. Rabbi Yabin said to Rabbi Yirmiyah, well, you quoted Tanakama, however, there's another opinion, the opinion of Sumchus that says um, that you can only adults pay, but the minor, uh, the father stole something and now the kids are minors, we do not take it from them. So I'm going to follow Sumchus and you cannot have it. Rabbi Yirmiyah retorted, Amad ikhpal kula alma ve'ka'e ke Sumchus lafku'an ledidi. He says, what? You did the whole world go to the effort to follow the opinion of Sumchus just to take what's mine? In other words, why all of a sudden following Sumchus against the Tanakhama, against the majority opinion, right? I, I, my, my, I side, majority supports me. The majority opinion above said that even minors, uh, their father stole something and the item is still there. They have to give it back. So yes, we take something from minors and give it to the rightful owner. And I am the rightful owner of this land. I have witnesses. And so I should be able to take it from the, uh, from, uh, from the, my brother-in-law, who, even though he's a minor. And just because you have Sumchus, all of a sudden, did everybody in the world just yes, just now decide to vote like Sumchus, that, they, that now he's the majority, and you're going to do all that? You're going to follow Sumchus just to take away my property, right? You're going to change the whole law just to, 
just to uh, uh, keep me from getting what's rightfully mine. All right, so they're having this argument. In the meantime, So they continued arguing until the matter um, rose up and went to Rabbi Abu to uh, adjudicate. So Rabbi Abu takes the side of Rabbi Yirmiya and he says to Rabbi Abin, have you never heard of what the statement of Rabbi Yosef al-Chama and name of Rabbi Yoshia, who said that if a child goes and grabs someone's slave or he goes into someone's field and takes uh, something from his field and the child said, this is mine. So we don't say, oh, well, he's a child. We can't bring him to court. We have to wait till he grows up. And only then we can uh, go and take it from him. No, we don't say that. He's this kid's, kid's a thief. Right? We go and take it from him right away. And then when he grows up, then uh, he can bring witnesses. The burden of proof is on the child because right, we, we, we saw that he just, uh, we, we, he just took it. Um, if he thinks that he has a right to take this because of some other uh, thing that happened, that someone uh, you know, owes him money from before and he has witnesses, fine. But otherwise, we take it from the child because that's, as far as we know, the kid just stole it. And therefore, uh, Rabbi Abin, you should side with Rabbi Amiya. Rabbi Amiya has proof that it's his, and so therefore, he has a right to go and grab it, take it from the minors. And that was minor brother-in-law. When his minor, minor, bro, minor brother-in-law grows up, he can bring counter witnesses and adjudicate it. So why don't you follow that way? And uh, we, however, reject that comparison. In the case of Rabbi Yoshaya, we're going to take it away from the child because he has no chazaka. He has no presumption of ownership from his father. He didn't inherit from his father. We uh, we know that he went in and took it, claiming that it's his. A claim based on what? Since he has no prior presumption, we do not let him keep it. However, in the case of Rabbi Yirmiya and his brother-in-law, where uh, the father died, and the presumption is that this is an heir, until, you know, unless we know otherwise. So since the, this, he has the presumption, it's a more like a Mosim Echavirol, You're going to take it from an heir? Well, you have to prove it. You have, you have witnesses? Excellent. Hold on to those witnesses. Make sure that they that they stick around until the minor grows up, and then you could bring him to court. But otherwise, we're going to leave the uh, the item where it is, and so uh, the Yerubiyamiya was not able to to uh, take the um, to take the uh, land from his brother minor brother-in-law. Since we mentioned the topic of uh, um, bringing a court case without the other litigant present, we're going to go into a longer discussion about that law. That one can accept witnesses even without the other side present. Wondered about this, he exclaimed, Really? Can you accept witnesses without the other side present? You can't just hear one side of a case without the other. They should have a chance to defend themselves. Uh, maybe they have other witnesses. Maybe they're going to call Edim Zomamin. Maybe they have another defense. 
explained um, that when the Rabbi Shabbatai said that you can accept witnesses without the other litigant, it was only talking about a specific circumstance um, when either the plaintiff was sick and maybe he's going to die or the witnesses are sick and we don't know if they're going to be around much longer or they need to go and travel overseas and then they won't be around to testify and they called in the other the litigant the defendant and he didn't come so they did everything they can and they can't wait any longer because the opportunity to hear the witnesses may not last and so in that case you can hear the testimony of witnesses without the other guy he should make sure to come Shemuel also said the same law that you can accept witnesses without the other litigant. Morukva says, oh, he explained it to me himself um, that it's not talking about in any case. In a, in a regular case, both both litigants have to be present in order for anyone to present their case and to bring witnesses. However, Shemuel was talking about a case where they already opened up a case in a certain Betin, and the Betin sent for him a summons, right, to come to come to court, right? You're being sued. Come defend yourself. And he decided not to come. However, if they haven't yet opened the case in a, in a specific court, then the defendant may say, I didn't come to your court because I didn't agree to come to this court. I want to go to the Betin Hagadol. I want some, uh, the, the, one, the, the, the one that's greater authority. And therefore, since he has a right to say that, so we can't just because he didn't show up to this Betin, uh, doesn't mean he's absentee, refusing, and therefore that we can penalize him by hearing the witnesses without him. Okay, so you see the com what's common about both of these explanations that the main thing is that the defendant doesn't come. Uh, the first one had the added pressure that uh, the that someone was sick and so they need to do it right away otherwise maybe they could wait a little longer okay we ask about this wait a second what's the difference if they 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 open the case in this court or not even if they open the case in this court the defendant can say oh no i i don't want to go to this court i can i want to go to betin hagadol and he would have a right to do that so ravina explains it's when the local court got a license from the Betin Hagadol. Betin Hagadol doesn't have to hear every case that comes to them themselves. They can appoint a lower court to say, listen, you be our representatives and uh, you have our stamp of approval. And in that case, the lower court is already the, the um, has the status of the higher court. And so in that case, the defendant would not be able to say, I want to go to a higher court. Um, this is already it. They already have a license. And therefore, it's his responsibility to show up. If he doesn't show up, then the court can hear the witnesses without him. Before we were talking about um, uh, um, hearing testimony of witnesses, which is a whole prolonged process. You have to take each witness separately and uh, and uh, um, and ask them questions and then see if that matches up and we have to give them warnings and all that. Uh, but here we're talking about if you already have a document signed, 
Uh, and now we just want to ratify the document. Right? I want to make sure that the people that signed this, uh, that's really their signatures um, in case uh, someone comes and says, no, this is a forged document. So in that case, you'd need to um, either find the witnesses and ask them, did you sign this? Or find someone that knows their signatures and recognizes them and says, yes, this is their signatures. Or we find another document that they signed that is already ratified and we can compare their uh, their um, signatures. Okay, so those are all ways we can ratify a document. And Rav says you don't need the other litigant there. And that way, you know, they or the witnesses already came. They already signed on it. And so he, let's say he has an IOU, right? This guy um, says IOU. This guy owes me money. And here, here, uh, here is the document. And so now we're just ratifying, making sure that the Betin will accept that this document is true. So yes, you can do that without the uh, without the defendant. Rabbi Yochanan says no. You need the other litigant there, uh, even or, or also for ratifying documents. Maybe he has a maybe he has a claim. Maybe he knows for sure that it's a, a forgery or knows something else about the case or about the witnesses themselves or whatever. I will tell, explain to you the source for the Biochanan, the Pasuk regarding an ox that gores um, and it becomes a, a short Mu'ad. So it says that the, they will testify in front of the owner of the ox and he still doesn't secure it. So you see that the testimony has to be in front of the owner. Um, the Torah says the owner of the ox should come and stand by his ox to hear the testimony. He has to know it's going to affect him. Because if uh, it gores again, then he's going to have to pay a full amount. So you need him there. And same thing here. We're comparing the loan document to an ox, right? If we're ratifying this loan document, then it's going to be used to collect money. So... The defendant who's going to have to pay the money has a right to be there to hear out that testimony, and that way he can intervene if uh, he has a different claim. Rava says, Halacha is like Rav, that you can uh, ratify a document even without the other litigant there, and even if he's there and he's screaming in protest, no, it's a forgery, it's a forgery, doesn't matter. We go through the process, and if we find that these are the signatories and they are correct, then that's it, it's good. So now, um, once they ratify it, right, if he has no claim, then we're going to make him pay right away. But if the uh, defendant, this, this is the borrower who owes money, and he says, give me time, I, I want to bring witnesses uh, to disqualify the document. I have witnesses, right, I just don't have them right here, and um, right, don't, uh, don't make me pay right now, I need some time. So we, we give him time until he can bring the witnesses, um, and if he comes with those witnesses, If he brings the witnesses, good. So then we'll hear what the witnesses have to say, and we'll adjudicate the case. But if he says, give me this amount of time, and that amount of time comes and goes, and he never showed up, so we give him three extra court dates, Monday, Thursday, and Monday. That's when the courts meet. And maybe, you know, maybe he got the date wrong, maybe he's just on his way. So we give him a little bit more time, buffer a buffer zone, uh, to come with those witnesses. And if he still doesn't come, we write an, uh, a document of ostr ostr ostracism. We put him in, we excommunicate him 
for 90 days. Why excommunicating him? Well, because he's he's um, uh, not coming to court. He said he was going to come to court, and he didn't. So it's the same as refusing a court order. He, deser- he deserves to be excommunicated. And we say, okay, this is for 90 days. We still aren't going to take the money from him. We don't seize his assets because... So we're not going to seize his assets right away because we say um, for the first 30 days, uh, maybe he's going to trying to borrow from someone else. In other words, he went, he tried to find uh, witnesses that said this is false. He couldn't find those witnesses. All right, he's going to pay. He has to pay $1,000. He doesn't have the money. So he's going to try to borrow from someone else to pay back this. So we'll also give him 30 days. Maybe he'll come up with the money. But And then we give him an extra, the middle 30 days because maybe he realized no one will lend it to him. He can't get it. So he's going to sell some property. And so it takes some time to find a buyer for his property. And then the third uh, group of 30 days, we say maybe he found someone to buy the property, but that person himself has to go get a mortgage, has to get the money together. And so may, we assume that it could be in good faith He's still trying to come up with the money to pay him, so we give him that grace period. Lo ata, but if he still doesn't come, even after that 90 days, then we write a document of authorization that the creditor, you can go and take his property. And all this above that we wait and wait is if he says, I'm coming. But if he doesn't, if he says, no, I'm not coming, um, uh, uh, he refuses to come to the court at all, he doesn't make a claim that I have witnesses, he doesn't make a claim about anything, right? He just says, no, I'm not coming, I'm not paying you. Then we don't wait the 90 days, we give him a document of authorization immediately. Well, the, the, your document your IOU is is um, affirmed, is ratified. He owes you. He refuses to pay. Okay, go and take his assets. And that which we say that you give him 90 days to go and get the money together, that's only if it's a case of a loan. But if it's a case of a deposit of an item, right? I lend someone my cow. Now it's time and time is up. I, I want my cow back. Thank you for um, watching it for me. So then he has to come up with the cow. He's supposed to have it immediately. If he then he doesn't have he doesn't have the cow and he says, oh, give me uh, 90 days to uh, find the cow. No, you have to have it right now. A loan is different. What if I give you $1,000, then I assume that you're going to use the $1,000. That's what a loan is for. You're not going to have the original ones that I gave you. And so now, and uh, you, you need to, when you return it, um, you, you have some time to go get collect the money together. That makes sense. But the item itself, um, I can go and seize your assets immediately if you don't have the item that I gave you. When the court writes a document of seizure, that means that the creditor can seize the borrower's land, only for land, but not movable items. Why? Um, because maybe the creditor will go and says, oh, oh you didn't pay me. I'm going to seize your cow. And maybe then they'll say, oh, what a nice cow. I think I'll have it for dinner. And the creditor eats that cow or whatever movable item it is. And then when the borrower comes and he, in fact, does have witnesses, maybe he'll find the witnesses later. He couldn't find them right away. And the witnesses will say, actually, the document, the loan document that you produced in the first place was invalid. And so I want the money back, whatever you seized. 
Um, so if he sees the cow, he won't be able to take it back because the cow is gone. But if it's land, land doesn't go anywhere. You can't steal land. You can't hide it. Um, and so then he says, listen, you took my land because of this loan document, but I just proved that the loan document is no good. Now I get my land back. So that's why um, uh, land can be taken uh, seized but not movable items. On the other hand, if the creditor has uh, land, right, the lender has land, then you can write a loan doc, then you can write a document of seizure even for the borrower's movable items because that if they if the um, uh, lender seizes the cow of the borrower and eats it and it turns out that the loan document is proven false well since the lender has has land himself the borrower can always come and say listen i was right all along you took my cow illegally so i'm going to take your land uh, as uh, as repayment for what you should not have taken from me so there's still a guarantee so that's okay however uh, the gemara itself says we don't follow this last uh, last line we in fact only write a document of seizure on land and not on movable items at all even if the lender has land because we're concerned maybe he has land now that's worth a lot but maybe it will go down in price and it won't be enough to cover the amount of the cow that the lender seized before the court writes a document of authorization we um, inform the other party that you know we are writing we are writing such a thing uh, a document that way that he knows that uh, listen that we're we're going to seize your property um, and that way and just in case maybe he can do something last minute to pay or stop it so we have to let him know. But that's only if he lives close by. Um, if the uh, person, the borrower who's supposed to pay, lives far away, we're not going to wait and go through the trouble of sending a messenger all the way to him. It may take a long time. By the time he comes back, and okay, we told him. Um, so we don't have to, we don't, we're not going to make the creditor wait all that time. Exception to this rule: If it, the uh, the lender, the borrower, uh, lives far away, but he has relatives, and the relatives, uh, we presume that they're in touch and they'll uh, go back and forth and they write letters. Or if there's a caravan that goes uh, on that route, um, and they and they always come back and they're on a schedule, then we'll wait up to twelve months. Uh, which is a year for them to go, 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 go there six months, six months, come back to let him know that, listen, we have a, a, a ratified document and uh, you owe money and we're writing a, a document of authorization to seize your land. Um, then we do, uh, since we know for sure that as long as you wait one year, we'll get it, we'll, we'll, he'll, he'll get the message. So then we allow that. Uh, we, we, we wait. And in fact, there was actually a case where uh, Ravina delayed uh, writing a document of uh, seizure uh, 12 months because he waited till a, a, a messenger went with the caravan there um, all the way to Behozai and he was far away and they came back and he says yes we told him and he had no he had nothing to say so then you can write a document of authorization to take his land but even though the Gemara just said that this is two layers of uh, of anonymous um, 
uh, statements here, even though we just said that you should wait 12 months if there's caravans that go, but that we don't in fact follow that, that opinion. Hatam inish alima hava. In that case, uh, where of uh, Ravina, um, they were talking about where the creditor was a thug or a strong man, and if you once you gave him a document of seizure, then it would not be possible to ever get the money back from him, even if the borrower were it was able to bring witnesses and proof that he was in the right and he didn't have to pay all along. So. Um, that's why we had said, hold on, this guy, once you give him the money, you'll never be able to get to give him the land, you'll never be able to get him back, even if he's wrong. So you know what, let's, uh, let's wait uh, a while and make sure, send the message, even though it'll take another year. But that's, that was an exceptional case where uh, there was no recourse to be able to get it back uh, just in case. But in a regular case, we um, do not wait that long. Rather, we only wait if uh, we can send a, a, messenger, a messenger to the borrower on Tuesday, and he could go. Um, uh, he could get there on Wednesday, and he could he could go, go there on Tuesday. He could come back on Wednesday and let us know, and then we could bring the matter to trial on Thursday. That's it. If he's one day away, and we can go back and forth over, uh, over two days, fine. We'll wait that long from a Monday to a Thursday, um, but to give him a chance so that he knows about it in case he has any defense or witnesses. But longer than that, we don't wait. And we're not going to wait because um, the uh, the creditor has a right to collect what's his. He has a ratified document. And should it be, just in case, the, that the borrower, in fact, has witnesses himself that he never owed, so fine, he'll bring the witnesses later. And we can always go back to that land and say, oh, you know what, he didn't have to, you, you, you uh, were not authorized to seize the land, and then he'll have to give it back. And everybody will have what's coming to them. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen ve'amen.